So we're going to begin uh, a new series tonight, and uh, the new series is about the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. Y'all have already heard that, but that's what we're talking about, and I don't know if you grew up, and, and how you grew up, and what you learned about the Holy Spirit growing up, but I just want to tell you how I grew up, okay? I grew up in church, traditional church, for the most part. Some people would call it a high church. I uh, went to Sunday school every Sunday with my family, most Sundays, unless we were out of town or something, and I, was, I grew up Methodist, and then for some reason, my sixth grade year, my parents changed to a Presbyterian church. So I had to go through confirmation in two different churches, which is not an exciting thing, okay? Because once you get confirmed in one church, that should be enough. But I went through a confirmation a second time because when we changed membership, they said, hey, your son has to go through confirmation again, okay? And I didn't know what confirmation was. And if you didn't grow up in a church with confirmation, God bless you because you didn't didn't miss anything. And um, so uh, anyway, but I got confirmed in two different churches and I did not know God, Okay, that's my, on me. That's not on the churches. I did not know God. I didn't understand God. I just knew that my family went to church on Sundays. And, uh, and then when I was a sophomore in high school, my family, we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina from a really small town in North Carolina. And when I got there, um, I worked really, really hard on making new friends. And I found that one place I could go to to make new friends was a ministry called Young Life. And it met on Monday nights. Some of you are very familiar. Some of you are involved in Young Life in high school and college. Um, but if you don't know what Young Life is, it's just a great ministry outreach to students in high schools, okay? And so I um, went to one of their summer camps in New York. It was Saranac Lake, New York. And when I got to the summer camp, I started hearing things that I never had heard before about God, about Jesus Christ, about the gospel. And when I heard this, what I heard was one, that I was in sin. And they do a great job of letting you know that you are in sin and that you need a savior. And I can remember all week long going, I don't know what the answer is, but I know I'm in trouble and I need an answer. I know I'm in trouble. I know I'm a bad person, okay? And I need some help. And then finally, the answer came. It's like the, the help is Jesus. He's your savior. If you put your faith in him, you can have a relationship with him. And that was the key word. I'd never heard about a relationship with God before. And it rocked my world. It changed the course of my life. It changed the course of my high school years. It changed where I ended up going to college. It totally sent me in a different direction. But here's what happened. That was on a Wednesday uh, in June of 1990, okay? I know some of you weren't even born yet, so don't judge me right now. Um, And all of a sudden, Friday comes, and we have a 14-hour bus ride back to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I am scared to death. And here's why I'm scared. First of all, I'm scared because... I know I've worked really hard to build a reputation that I was cool. And if you can just look at me, I had to work hard at that, okay? I mean, I had to work really, really hard to convince some people that I was cool because I was not cool. And, uh, and, so, and so I had done that, and I had done things that were ungodly to try to prove that I was cool, okay? And so I knew I was going back to Raleigh, North Carolina with a new set of friends, and I was about to tell them that I was a Christian, and that was not going to be cool, okay? So I was really, really scared, in that moment. But the second thing I was scared of, and I can remember this thought on the bus, getting on the bus, and I started crying. That's how emotional I got over this moment. But I got on the bus, and when I got on the bus, I go, man, if I'm going to do this relationship thing with God, I'm going to have to read my Bible. And I don't read my homework assignments. So how am I going to be inspired? How am I going to be motivated to read the Bible? And I literally was like, I don't think I can do this. 
And I just wanted to stay at camp because if I stayed at camp, I thought if I just lived at camp the whole time, I think I can be a Christian, you know? That's a safe place and like in the in creation and just worship God all the time and pray and like think this is incredible and not really have to interact with the world. And I was scared to death. But what I didn't know was I did not know about the Holy Spirit because when you're 16, no one teaches you about the Holy Spirit for the most part. And I had no idea that when I put my faith in Jesus, that God put himself in me and that he was going to be my inspiration. And it was crazy. When I got back to Raleigh, I started reading my Bible. It was the weirdest thing. It freaked my mother out. She knew something had happened and she was so excited because she couldn't believe that there was a Bible now on my nightstand and it was being read on a regular basis. Okay, that was crazy. And then I started to grow in my relationship with God. And as I look back on my life, I realize it was the Holy Spirit of God that was leading me to do that, inspiring me to do that. So we're beginning a series tonight on the Holy Spirit. Now, that could freak some people out in the room, and I get that. But And here's the deal. Like I just described it. Some people grow, grow up in a church that's like traditional and high church. You know, that's what they grow up in. And they don't really mention the Holy Spirit. They mention it when they mention the Trinity, but they don't really teach on the Holy Spirit for the most part. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying that there's some churches out there that are very intellectual for the most part. And then there you go to the other extreme, and the other extreme is that there's churches over here that they love the Holy Spirit. They talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, and, and they experience the Holy Spirit, And, you know, you can call them holy rollers. You can call them charismatic churches. You can call them the dancing people that are crazy for Jesus, tambourine, you know, hitting, all that kind of stuff. And and that's where they are. And they're like, hey, if you ain't got this, you ain't got Jesus. You know, that's kind of where they are over here. You know what I'm saying? And and I'm I'm not trying to to knock either one, okay? But what I want to say tonight is I believe the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And we need to know its role, his role, not it. I can't believe I said that. I'm so sorry that I said that, Holy Spirit. You are a person, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is God, and we need to know about his role in our lives. So for two weeks, we're going to be talking about this. Tonight, we're going to be talking about his role, and next week, Samer Masad is going to be here, and he's going to be talking about how to walk by the Spirit of God. You don't want to miss next week. It's our last one. we got King of Pops coming at the end of the night. You don't want to miss next week, okay? King of pops is worth it, okay? I would say that, but the Holy Spirit is way better, okay? I just want to make it be clear, okay? So that's what we're talking about tonight. We're going to dive in in uh, John chapter 16, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time, okay? So um, here's what it says, John 16, verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So this is what you need to know about this verse. There's a context that I'm going to keep referring to. And the context is that Jesus is, no, 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 come back. I need to go back. Yeah. Jesus is saying to them, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Okay? And so when I mention context, because I'm going to say context at least three more times tonight, okay, you've got to remember that he has told them that I am going away. Okay? That's what you have to remember. Everybody with me? You're remembering Jesus said he's going away. Okay? And he said, it is 
Your, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the first role of the Holy Spirit is that he, he counsels, okay? That's, there we are. The Holy Spirit counsels, okay? And so um, Kendrick mentioned this word tonight. The other word that could be put there is he comforts, okay? And uh, the reason that, that they don't use that word is when you think of comfort, you think of, I think of comforter. That's what I think of. And I don't know about you uh, growing up, but I had a bedspread. And then when I got to college, I got a comforter. And I was like, who knew? Like, I mean, I had no idea that the comforter was way better than a bedspread. You know, once you have a comforter, you don't go back to the bedspread. You know, it's like, mom, dad, you've been holding out on me for years, you know, and I got a comforter. And, and I think the problem with, I mean, it, it would be nice to think of the Holy Spirit as like wrapping up, you know, in the comforter, but that's not what this means. Okay. That's, that's sweet. That's nice. And I believe the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is sweet. I believe that. But, but he actually, the word actually translates with help. So if he comforts, if comforting helps you, then yes, that's a good translation. But he counsels, or the better word is he's an advocate. He's an advocate for you. And so um, I, anybody in here want to just play along with me and say, I've gotten a speeding ticket before, okay? For me, I got a speeding ticket three times in college. I don't know how. I, I know one thing. I do know how. I was going too fast, okay? That's how. But I was driving through um, Monroe, Louisiana at 2 a.m. in the morning over spring break going back from Texas to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, 24-hour drive, okay? No, 20-hour drive. Is that crazy? Three, three people in the car. And coming into Monroe, the speed limit changes from 65 to 55. And I did not see the speed limit sign, and I was going 79 miles an hour. Not good at 2 a.m. in the morning, okay? And it was, it was bad. It was a bad scene. Like, it was so bad that I hit the, as soon as I saw the cop, I just hit the brakes and pulled over. Like, I knew I was in trouble, okay? And, and so what happens in that moment when you're going that fast? You need some help. And what you need is a lawyer, okay? You don't, that's all that can help you at that point because you are guilty, guilty, guilty. And so uh, fortunately, my dad was very generous to me at the time and he hired me a lawyer. And what that lawyer did, he was my advocate. He went before the judge. He pleaded with the judge and somehow he got the ticket to be reduced. It cost a lot of money, I will say that. I don't know if it was worth it in the end, but somehow it got reduced and I still had to, I got to keep my license. That was a good thing. Okay, he was an advocate. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying when you're in trouble, the Holy Spirit's going to bail you out. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the scripture says. But what it is saying is that he, Jesus said, I'm going away. Context, I'm going away. And I'm going away because it's for your good because I'm going to send you a counselor. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to be with you. Now, when I was in grad school, I uh, got to do some traveling in the nation of England, and um, I love England, by the way. I just think it's amazing, and if you ever get a chance to study abroad, I would highly encourage you to go do that, because it is worth seeing so much history that's over there, and I traveled up to visit some churches in Liverpool, okay, and um, I love Liverpool because the accent, it's, it's so much uh, harder, the dialect up there is harder to understand, but it's beautiful, and um, and, you know, England is crazy about soccer. They're just crazy about it. They call it football. They don't call it soccer. And uh, their fans, let's just put this up. There's a picture of their fans right here. This is the, their fans. They're just absolutely nuts for their team. And, and this is their slogan. You will never 
walk alone. This is their fans' slogan to the team. And they gather in their stadiums and they hold up their scarves and they say, you will never walk alone. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples in this context is that it is good that I go away because you will never walk alone. You will never walk alone. It is better for you, for you that I go away because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's going to be your counselor. He's going to be your advocate and you will never walk alone. So moving on. So the first role is that he is a, the Holy Spirit is a counselor. The second thing is um, that he convicts. Here we go. It's in verse eight. When he comes... He will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. So this is the role. He's going to convict. And then Jesus tells us what this means. He says he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. So there's three things that conviction does. And you need to understand that. And the first, he says, about sin, about sin because people do not believe in me. Now, this is really, really important, okay? Because what was the context again? He's going away. He's going away, okay? And, and so when he leaves, the Holy Spirit is gonna come and the sin is that he's gonna convict the world of is because they don't, people don't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe he was the Savior. They rejected him, They put him on a cross, and when Jesus is speaking this, he knows, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to the cross. And he's saying, when I leave, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to convict the world about sin. And the greatest sin that people can be convicted of is rejecting Jesus. There's many, many sins that we all commit, but the greatest sin is rejecting Jesus. And that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world about Jesus. That he is who he said he was. So that's really, really important, okay? Because we should believe in him. And if you don't have conviction, it's very hard to believe in something. You've got to have conviction. All right, moving on. Verse 9 about righteousness. So he said, I'm going to convict the world about sin. Now I'm going to convict the world about righteousness because I'm going to the Father. He said he was going away. Remember that part. And then the next part says, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because of the prince of the world now stands condemned. So the second part is about righteousness. And he says, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And so this is really, really important for you to understand because Jesus was the standard for righteousness. He is the standard. He was the perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus is saying this to them, he knows, again, he's going to the cross. And not only is he going to the cross, but he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's going to defeat the power of sin and death and be risen from the dead. That's the power of the resurrection. And when he does that, he is the ultimate righteousness that we can have. He is the only righteousness we can have. And you have to realize in this context of what's going on, he's talking to Jews who think, hey, it's all about the law. It's all about the law. And and Jesus is saying, when I go away, I'm going to convict the world about righteousness because I am the standard. 
I am the perfect one. I am the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so if we do not have conviction about righteousness, we don't understand what the standard is. We don't understand. We would think, oh, I can earn my way. I can obey the law and I can actually possibly have favor with God. And the reality was no one can earn their way. No one can be justified by works of the law. And Jesus is saying, hey, when I go away, when I leave you, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of righteousness. That's what he means in this verse. And then he says, and about judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. Now, this is amazing because he's going to convict the world about judgment. And this seems a little bit confusing. But up until this point, the enemy had always been accusing God, going, God, he was, he was in a verbal shouting match. I don't have scripture for this, but just in the context of the history of all eternity, God is saying, I mean, the enemy is saying to God, accusing God, going, how can you be just, God, when you let your people, your people live in sin and you just pass over it? And he's going, no way. And, he, and the enemy knows that Jesus is the son of God. And the enemy thinks, when Jesus dies on the cross, he thinks, I have won. The enemy thinks, I have won. And for three days, it looked really, really dark for all of humanity. And for three days, the enemy thought, I took out the son of God. I took out the son of God. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he proclaimed victory over the power of sin, over the power of death, and he condemned the enemy. He condemned Satan for all eternity. He condemned him. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. It it convicts us about judgment because though the enemy is getting God's wrath for eternity, it convicts us that we deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's wrath. Without Christ, we deserve, to be pay, we deserve to pay the penalty for our sin. And the Holy Spirit, what he does is he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So that's what one of the major roles is about the Holy Spirit. He convicts. But I just want to uh, speak a little bit more on this word conviction, okay? Because conviction is when our beliefs move us to action. Conviction is when our beliefs move us to action. Think about it like this. Like, like do you believe that seatbelts save lives? Do you believe that seatbelts save lives? Most of you hopefully wear your seatbelt, and you're like, I, you do that because, you know, um, I think if I do that, I'm safer, okay? All right? And so it, you are convinced it is better for you to wear a seatbelt, okay? And, and, and conviction... When you were convinced of something, it's just like, it's that simple. It's like, you know, if I'm going to get good grades, I'm going to study. And some of you are convinced of that. And some of you aren't that convinced of that. You're like, hey, maybe if I go to class occasionally, I'll still do good, you know? And, and it doesn't work that way, okay? But you've got to be convinced to be able to be moved to action, okay? And so that's what conviction is. 
And, and conviction is like our sensory nerves. Like God gave us these incredible sensory nerves in our body so that we can sense things, that we can be aware of pain so that you don't grab that, that you don't put your hand on the stove, you know, or you don't grab the hot pot. You know, it's like, oh gosh, that's hot. And you let go of it because your sensory nerves kick in. And that's like conviction. Conviction just makes us sensitive to what is right. In other words, like conviction, what happens is, is, is that it allows us to see that we're out of line. And usually when we're out of line, it's something that we have done. And conviction falls on us, and it allows us to realize, hey, this is out of line, and I got to get back in line. And so conviction awakens us to what is going on in our lives. And so what happens when we are out of line, we've got to acknowledge or we've got to declare, hey, God, I am out of line. We've got to declare what we've done in light of who you are. And so you are a child of God. If you put your faith in Christ, you are a child of God. And when conviction settles in, you've got to acknowledge, hey, I did this, God. But when I did this, I realized it was wrong. And I just want you to know I am your child And then that leads us back to the path of restoration in a relationship with God. So here's how it works. Because some of you don't really understand uh, all of this in the sense that we get confused with the word condemnation. And there's a fine line between the two. And some of you, when you do stuff wrong, all of us, when we do something wrong, we feel guilty about it. But some of that guilt causes us to not look up, okay? And so there's a a difference between condemnation and conviction. And I want you to understand the difference between the two. So we're going to put that up here for you. Condemnation does this. It tears down. It tears us down. So condemnation means uh, to pronounce unfit for use or service. Unfit for use or service. Sorry about that. Unfit for use or service. That's what condemnation means. When you see a building condemned, it means don't go in there. It's not safe. That's what happens when a pronouncement of condemnation comes. And so it tears down. But conviction builds us up. That's what it does. It builds us up. And so conviction puts us back on the path. It puts us back on the path towards God. So the other thing that condemnation does is that it, I'm waiting for it. Yeah, it's destructive, all right? It's destructive. And so it destroys. That's what condemnation does. But conviction is constructive. That's what it does. It is constructive, so it builds. It builds us back up. It it helps us get on the right path. And finally, the last thing is this. Condemnation produces an inward focus, and conviction produces a Godward focus. And this is what you need to know. And this is, honestly, this is the whole two-week series for some of you in the room tonight, because some of you are struggling with this very idea between condemnation and conviction, because some of you in this room tonight are carrying around guilt, And all you are doing is you're looking inward in your life and you're going, I cannot believe that I'm struggling with this. I cannot believe that I'm struggling with this. If they knew that I was struggling with this and there is an enemy who is accusing you going, you better not confess this. You better not let people know about this. And it is destroying you right now. It is destroying who you are and it is a lie. Can I just tell you that? It is a lie. If you put your faith in Jesus, there is so much hope for you tonight. If you have faith in Jesus, and there's no reason for condemnation to be in your life. And, but what, what happens for you is that you're looking inward, and God's going, no, no, no. 
The Holy Spirit, I, I'm going, Jesus is saying, I went away and I put the Holy Spirit in you and the, and the Holy Spirit is going to convict. And when he brings conviction, he's going to put you back on the road to recovery with me, into restoration with me, because you're going to fix your eyes on me. And that's where your eyes need to be. They don't need to be inward. They need to be upward towards me. Okay? That's the difference between condemnation and conviction. And so, conviction leads us to the fact that we are in desperate need of a Savior. We're in desperate need of a Savior. And praise God, we have a Savior. And his name is Jesus, and he gives us hope tonight. So, the Holy Spirit, he counsels, and he convicts. And then finally, the last one is found in verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the first thing that we need to know, there's another name for the Holy Spirit. And the the other name for the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. And so the last role of the Holy Spirit is that he guides. He, he, is, he guides. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He guides you into all truth. And what does that mean? Well, I don't mean, and this is true, I, I'm, I think God sent the Holy Spirit and he is in us and he leads us and he guides us. And sometimes he speaks to us in special ways. But for the most part, the primary way that he speaks to us is that he reveals he reveals himself in the truth that he has already given to us. In fact, commentators that talk about this verse, they're talking about this is before the New Testament was written. Okay, think about this. Jesus is saying when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. And in, in years after this, people started writing the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's important for you to understand tonight. And so I believe the Holy Spirit, one of the primary ways that he guides us into truth is that he leads us back into his word. He reminds us of it in his word. It's why you need to spend time getting yourself into his word. You need to get this into you. It will do you some good because there's going to be times in life where he will remind you of the truth. Because you need to be reminded because you're about to make a poor decision and the Holy Spirit will bring conviction and he will guide you into truth. But you need to remember that truth. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. I don't know if you've ever gone, oh, that's not right. Or, oh, I remember this in the word of God. Or, oh, I remember that how God taught me this about himself and I need to keep my feet on the path and walk the straight and narrow. Listen, in the world that we live in, we need a guide. We need a guide. And Jesus is saying, it is way better that I go away. It is way better for you that I go away. And I want to share this uh, closing quote with you. And um, it is from a book. It's a long quote. Okay, we're, not, we're going to put it up in just a second. But before I do, I want to say a couple things. First of all, I know that reading quotes is not cool. Okay, I, I realize that. Okay, and I know it can sound boring, okay, but this quote is from an author named John Eldridge, okay, he's written several books. This book is called Waking the Dead, and um, 
And when I found this years ago, it rocked my world. And I'm going to read the whole thing because if I, if I didn't read the whole thing, I think I would be cheating you of what it's trying to say, okay? And so I'm, I'm acknowledging I'm reading and I need you to read along because it's really, really good stuff. And it's going to speak to the importance that we embrace the fact that he is a God. So here it is, okay? If we're not pursuing a dangerous quest with our lives, then we don't need a guide. If you haven't found yourselves in the midst of a ferocious war, then you won't need a seasoned captain. If you settled in your mind to live as though this is fairly natural world and you are simply trying to live your life as best as you can, then you can probably get by with the Christianity of tips and techniques. Maybe. I'll give you about a 50-50 chance. But if, you, but if you intend to live in the story that God is telling and if you want the life he offers then you are going to need more than a handful of principles, however noble they may be. There are too many twists and turns in the road ahead, too many ambushes waiting God only knows where, too much at stake. You cannot possibly prepare yourself for every situation. Narrow is the way, Jesus said. How shall we be sure to find it? We need God intimately and we need him desperately. We need God intimately, and we need him desperately. And what's so amazing, what's so amazing is that when Jesus said, it's better for you that I'm going away, he's saying, I am going away because I want to know you intimately, and I'm going to be in your life. I'm going to be wherever you are. You will never be alone. And when I'm in you, I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to convict you. And I'm going to guide you. That's his role for you and I. So this is the homework. I got homework for you this week. I know it's summer for some of you. You're not ready for homework. You're like, I'm not doing homework until September. I know school starts in August, but I'm not doing homework until September. But I've got some homework for you, okay? I want this week three chapters of the Gospel of John for you to read it. John 14, 15, and 16, okay? Just stay in John 14, 15, and 16, okay? You can read it every day if you want to, between now and next Monday night. You can read one chapter a day. And, and, and here's the, the extra piece I want to add to it, okay? I want to put this prayer up. It's really simple. It's really short, okay? It says, Father, by your Holy Spirit, counsel me in your ways and guide me in your truth. Counsel me in your ways and guide me in your truth. And you're like, hey, you did counsel and guides, but you left conviction out. And I'm like, yeah, I know I left conviction out. One, because I wanted to make the prayer simple for you. Number two, if you get counseled in God's ways, if you pray this and you're like, God, will you counsel me in your ways? And will you guide me in your truth? I promise you conviction will fall on your life. It will not get left out. Number one, because the Holy Spirit is in you. And number two, if you're asking God to, to counsel you in his ways, to advise you, to lead you, and if you're asking him to guide you into truth, conviction will be in your life. And so this week, John 14, 15, and 16, and pray this prayer daily. Father, by your Holy Spirit, counsel me in your ways and guide me in your truth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. 
And I thank you for the truth tonight, God, that he came to this earth to make a way for us to be restored into a relationship with you. And I thank you that we get to know that intimately tonight because of the Holy Spirit. And God, you're so good to us. And you care about each one of us individually that you want to be involved in every detail of our lives, so much so that you are in our lives by faith today. And God, I pray for each of these students that this week, that they would come to know you more, that you would awaken their souls to be fully alive in you and led by the spirit of you, the Holy Spirit. Would you lead us now by your grace and your mercy? In Jesus' name, amen.